you know, the, the title of the message is The New Me is Free. And we've been talking about the new me throughout Romans 6. We're just marching through the book. Today is actually the last day we're going to be in Romans for a while. We're going to head into Christmas series next week. And then uh, January's taken up with, I go to Moldova in the two weeks in January. We also have the church meeting. But uh, we'll come back to Romans starting with chapter 7, the last Sunday of January. But anyway, throughout chapter 6, there's this whole discussion of these two ways. Uh, the way of the world, uh, slavery to sin, uh, slavery to God, f- free from the world. There's these two paths that he's been setting us, uh, sending us through to understand the reality of our life in Christ. And we talk about freedom. Uh, we often say that Christ died to set us free. There's, there's just a lot of scriptures that talk about the freedom that Christians have. And I guess I would ask you, what does it mean? I mean, if, if Christians are free, we're free in Christ, what does freedom actually mean? Most people, when they hear the word freedom, they think of a lack of restrictions, right? I, I am free. I can just do whatever I want to do. Well, let me ask you, is that freedom to be able to do whatever you want to do? I mean, we say in America, we live in a land of freedom. Does that mean you and I can do whatever we want to do whenever we want to do it? Well, let me say, if you think you're completely free, why don't you just try driving down the freeway at 120 miles an hour? And tell the nice policeman who stops you that uh, he has no right putting those cuffs on you because you're free. It's a free country. I can do whatever I want. We all know that as Americans, we're restricted in any any kind of civil society. We're going to be restricted by the laws of our land. We're free... As citizens, as long as we submit to operating life within the restrictions of our society. So, I would ask you, is there spiritual freedom that also has restrictions? And how do we live in the freedom that Christ offers? Look at the last paragraph here of Romans 6, starting with verse 20. He says, For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. Think about that. When you were slaves to sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. Therefore, what benefit were you then deriving from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the outcome of these things is death. But now, having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit, resulting in sanctification and the outcome, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. You know, as we saw last Sunday, we're all slaves of something. Every one of us. There's something that we serve, that we're pursuing. It it could be our own thirst for all kinds of stuff. Significance or money or power or control or even entertainment or leisure. We're all pursuing something. And whatever that something is becomes our God. It's where we worship. It's what we think about. And what Paul does in this passage here in Romans 6, he reduces the argument to its basic foundations that there's just really two pursuits in life. Two slaveries, if you will. Two freedoms. And one is this slavery to self, flesh, sin, world system, world's ways, as we saw last week. And the other is this slavery, obedience 
to God. But we all serve something. As we close this discussion in chapter 6, he exposes the great paradox of all of this. And he says, and here's the point I would make. He says that slavery is freedom and freedom is slavery. You get that, right? Slavery is freedom, and yet freedom is slavery. He wants you to know that there is a type of freedom no matter what you serve and worship. If you serve the world system, you're going to be free from the restraints of righteousness. If you're serving God, you're going to be free from the effects and the hold of sin on your life. Think about it for a minute. If, you, uh, if you're not a Christian, uh, your God is the world and its offerings. Your, your pursuit is to be somebody, make money, uh, pleasure yourself, get your way, climb the ladder, protect the environment, world peace, who knows what. And when you're in that system, you have a certain freedom from righteousness. That's what it says in verse 20. God and His influence, well, they're just, they're not your concern. I recently heard of a young couple who had been raised by godly parents, and uh, not in this church. Uh, a strong church, though, they were raised in, and this young couple decided that well, we're just not going to believe in God. Uh, we're not going to go to church, and we don't want to hear anything about it from our parents. We want freedom from the church. We want freedom from God. We want freedom from how it curbs our lifestyle. We want to do what we want to do. In many ways, they're saying, we want our God to be Self. And so they're free from the restraints of righteousness. So the point I would make is this, living free from the restraints of righteousness is actually slavery. How many people have tried to live free from the restraints of righteousness and ended up imprisoned to all kinds of different things? But people do it all the time. They want to be free from the restraints of righteousness. They want to live together without being married. They want to have sex with whoever, whenever. They want their weekends free in church every Sunday, and it's in the morning. <laughs> they want free to, to give their money, to hold on to their money. They don't want to have to give their hard-earned money to, to church or charity or others. It's my money. They've been led to believe that Christianity is just wanting to curb all of their fun and has this whole series of restraints and they want to be free. Ever known somebody like that? In verse 21, ask the question, well, what benefit were you deriving from that? Where did that get you? Anybody, anybody here uh, can testify to the fact that I tried that and... It didn't work. <laughs> I, I tried uh, being free from the effects of righteousness and the restraints of righteousness. I, I thought I could just be happy and I thought I could just live life on my terms. And another way of saying it is, where does that get you? Verse 21 says it, 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 it produced things that you're now ashamed of. Ashamed of. It says the, the outcome of living in this system is death. It's... It's, it's, it's living in death. 
It's living in a, not just when you die, it's living in a death to your, your dreams and the fulfillment of your life. It's death to your hopes. It's death. And I think one of the questions that we always ought to ask ourselves is this. How does this play out in my life? How does this movie end? If your life is a movie, uh, how does it end? I mean, if you keep doing what you're doing, living the way you're living, where does, where does this go? I remember Dr. Henry Cloud talking about this, and he's a psychologist, writes, writes a lot of books. and He says a man came into him for counseling, and the man was noticeably way overweight. And the man sat down and says, you know, Dr. Cloud, he says, I, I've been to counselor after counselor after counselor. I've been on every diet there is. And as you can see, I have not made any progress. Can you please give me something that allows me to lose this weight and to be a healthier person? Because I'm, I'm a slave to the addiction of food. And he says, and, and Dr. Cloud said, uh, okay, let's, let's go on a journey together. Let's take a journey together. Let's play the movie forward. He says, you have a five-year-old little daughter, don't you? Okay, let's play this movie out. Let's, let's say it's her wedding day. Isn't that, it's going to be a glorious family affair. Everybody is there. She looks absolutely gorgeous. She's marrying this fine Christian young man, and she's standing there getting ready to walk down the aisle and are you there? Yeah, I'm there. I can't wait for that day. And he says, she's standing there waiting to walk down the aisle. And, well, who's that next to her? Well, some men you don't even know. Because you're dead. Diabetes killed you years ago. You see your daughter... Your daughter, we're ready to walk down this most glorious day of her, her life, and she's got a tear running down her cheek. Wish my daddy were here. Yeah. She has kids and grandkids, and they don't even know who you are. They have no idea who you are. You have no influence. The man left the counseling session and the reason Dr. Cloud tells the story is because it's successful. The man loses 60 pounds in a year. <laughs> he just played it out. If I keep doing what I'm doing, I know where this ends. So I ask you today, are, are you... I mean, you can be a Christian and, and, and still try to live free from the restraints of righteousness, can't you? You can be a Christian and experience the grace of God and understand the wonderful security of His of his covering over you, and you can walk out from that and you can go back into the world system and say, I'm going to try to make all of this work. And I just say, just play it forward. Where does it end up? Selfishness, it leaves failed marriages in its wake. Addictions that just imprison you. Your, your pride is going to eventually alienate your children and they're going to quit coming around and... You, you control everybody and everybody around you, and you, you wonder why I, I'm so, I don't have any friends, I'm lonely. And You see, 
living in the world's system subjects yourself to this brutal dictatorial master. And the scripture says you end up just ashamed, broken, hopes die. You know, every once in a while I run into somebody who doesn't believe in God or an atheist and they've chosen to believe that when they die, they're just going to go back to dust. There's no life after death. And I use this same argument with them. I say, well, let's just play that out. Let's play the movie forward. And let's, let's just say, just humor me a little bit, but let's just say that what I'm saying about the gospel of Jesus Christ really is true. There is a God who's holy and He's righteous and He's, and he's just, and he, he, you can't come into His presence with this unforgiven sin, and so He provided his, his Son, Christ Jesus, to forgive your sin, to die on a cross and forgive your sin and give you new life. And uh, let's say that the gospel of Christ is true. And let's, let's play that forward that if you refuse the grace of Christ then you're condemned and you spend an eternity in a place of constant regret, torment. And the person may respond and say, well, I just don't believe in all of that. Let me ask you today, do you have an answer for that? Do you have an answer for the skeptic who says, well, I just don't, I choose not to believe in that. You can believe in it, that's okay, but I choose not to believe in that. Or sometimes the skeptic will say, well, prove to me that what you're saying is true. You ever had somebody say that to you? Well, just prove to me that there is a God. You see, what they're trying to get you to prove, what they're trying to get you to say is this. uh, Well, I can't actually prove it. I just believe it in faith. They say, aha, see? That's just a faith position. You know what I say to that? I concede the point. I say it is a faith position. My position that there is a God who has a son, Jesus Christ, who died for my sins and is going to usher me into heaven is a faith position. I concede that. But your position is a faith position, too. Can you prove to me that there is no God? And I would like to involve them in a discussion of, well, let's just look at the evidence, the preponderance of evidence. And we can give them all kinds of evidence about the intricacies of creation, about the fine-tuning of our planet, about all these kinds of DNA codes, and there's just a wealth of evidence. They can present their evidence. And I would always come to the conclusion, the same as the title of Norman Geisler's book that says, I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. The leap of faith required for atheism in in light of the evidence is a far greater leap of faith than that in a creator. I don't know, did you hear about the seventh grader in Katy, Texas? I can't believe this happened in Texas. Challenged her teacher about an assignment where she was to defend this myth. God is, there is a God. She was put down, badgered by the teacher. The argument's so futile. This passage makes this paradoxical argument. Freedom in Christ is also slavery to God and freedom from God is also slavery to sin. It's the embodiment of this whole world system. Isn't there a lot about the Christian life that's paradoxical? Isn't there a lot about the Christian life that's upside down or backwards? (laughs) He who loses his life does what? Gains it, finds it. He who is weak is what? Made strong. And here's another one. 
living bound to the restraints of righteousness is freedom. Living as a slave is freedom. So do you want to enjoy the freedom of God? Sign up for slavery. <laughs> Look what he says in verse 22. You, now, having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit resulting in sanctification and the outcome eternal life. Eternal life, it, 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 this, this meaning, it's not, some people get the wrong idea about eternal life. They think, well, that's what, that starts when I die. Eternal life is the very nature and life of God that you're grafted into. Eternal means forever. It doesn't mean from now on. It means forever, forever. From all times past, all times present, all times. Eternal is eternal. And he's saying the eternal life that you're given is a grafting into the eternal nature of God himself. In the book of Second Peter Chapter 1, verse 4, it says we have become what? Partakers of the divine nature. Participants grafted into the very life of God. Being a slave to God means you're free from sin. You're freed from this bent, this hold, this have to. It's mastery, it's dictatorship over your life. But what is it like being God's slave? What's it like being God's slave? Is it giving up your rights to do as you please? It's becoming his property and to sign up voluntarily for it. Watchman Nee makes this comment about Christians. He says, the trouble about many Christians today is that they have an insufficient idea of what God is asking of them. How glibly they say, Lord, I'm willing for anything. Do you know what God is asking do you know that God is asking of you your very life? There are cherished ideals, strong wills, precious relationships, much-loved work that will have to go. So do not give yourself to God unless you mean it. <laughs> and then he makes this statement. God will take you seriously, even if you did not mean it seriously. <laughs> I, I just think there's so many Christians. I've walked on this journey myself where... God, you can have all of me. I'll do anything you want me to do. And then when the rubber meets the road and I'm looking at my checkbook, except for that. <laughs> God, you can have everything, all of me, as long as it's in Texas. Right? God, you can have all of me and everything about me as long as I can continue my career path. I've made a lot of progress, you know. The chapter closes with this actually famous verse. It's... The end of the journey, what, what results in these two separate paths? And I find it extremely interesting, exposing of how it's put in the passage. Look at verse 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. When do you receive wages? It's in response to work. It's what you earn. It takes work. It's activity. And it says when you're working to find significance and you're working to find your way and you're participating in the activities of the world system, it, it has a payoff. And it's death. It's death now and it's death later. It's death. But look how he puts the other path. It's a gift, a free gift of God this eternal life in Christ Jesus. It's not about work. It's like Christmas morning. It's, it's, not, 
It's not about the end of the pay period. It's about Christmas morning. It's about the gift of His grace that I didn't have to earn it. I didn't have to live up to any standard to get it. I just, it's just given. And so I, I guess in one sense, I hope I've made my case. We don't want to live this way. We want to live this way. But you have to decide. You have to decide what master you want because you're, you're actually not going to live one or the other. I mean, you can't live for both of them. We all understand that? You, you just can't. Jesus said that. He said, what about two masters? He wasn't, he wasn't giving you a theological discussion. He was stating a fact. He was saying you cannot serve two masters. You can't be on both sides of this fence. You're either going to give your life to the pursuit and the world system or you're going to give your life to the obedience of God and His system. You can't be faced in two ways. Either you'll love one and hate the other. You know, in these closing moments, I want you to bow your heads with me. So much of being a slave to, to God and is really about turning loose and it's about letting go and... Um, it's, it's about meaning the words, I'm yours. You can have every moment of every day. You can make every decision. You can choose for me where I live. You can choose for me where I work. You can choose for me how I raise my kids. I'm going to turn it all over to you. And I just, I just in these moments, want you to have this conversation with God and I just say, God, is there something I need to let go of today? Is there something that I've kind of held on to? Maybe it's a sense of pride or selfishness that you've seen in your own life. And uh, you say, Lord, I, I see where I'm still kind of, I walk back into that old system and I, I don't, I want to be free. I want, I want the restraints of righteousness at work in my life. You might be here today and you believe the lie that, you can live in that world system apart from God and, and you believe that you can have it all and you're empty and there's a void in your life and maybe you're addicted, maybe you're just lonely. It's, just, it's really time to just let go and walk away from the brutal master of self and sin and world. You might be a Christian here today and you're still trying to make your own way. You, you, you understand the grace of God. It's at work in your life and you come to church and you sing His praises and you listen to messages and, and yet the way you operate your life, you're in charge. You're going to decide about your money. You're going to decide about your church choice. You're going to decide whatever. And God is calling to you today to just let this, put this in my hands, just turn it loose and just let me open the doors to my beautiful will for your future and that you haven't even begun to walk through because of your control. There's really no need for you to be in control anymore, Christian. You're his servant. He's your master that loves you and he covers you and he shelters you. He feeds you. He leads you beside green pastures. He restores your soul. He 
walks with you through the valleys of the shadow of death. He is there. Father, in these moments, I just pray that your spirit is active. Active in my life. Active in every life here. As we sense the the call and the nudge and the the voice of God speaking into our life, come, come into me, come into my eternal life, come into my home, come into my security, my place. 